1: back by no one's demand but our own from not sunny uh, still pretty scenic snowed in Elizabeth Park Nashville Tennessee and of course from the DraftKings Sportsbook studios it is the 615 sessions podcast powered by Two Rivers Ford and brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports I hope that you guys are safe I hope that you're warm, I hope that you have power, because the uh, you know the snowpocalypse, which here in Tennessee consists of about, what do we have on the ground, about two inches of snow? It's only happened twice in the five years that I've lived here, but yet the city is shut down, we are all closed indoors, much like the pandemic, so what else to do but podcast, and we have a fun one for you today. We're going to do things a little differently, though. Because Titans GM John Robinson spoke for the first time today since they cut Vic Beasley in November, we're going to lead with five good minutes on that and then get to the bulk of our conversation with Alex Doherty and Adam Vingen, talk a little shop about blowing up the Preds. All of that is ahead right after I remind you about our good friends at Two Rivers Ford. They are the people that you know you can trust in Middle Tennessee. For nearly 40 years, they are doing the best for you when it comes to customer service. The all-new 2021 Ford F-150 is now in stock at Two Rivers Ford. You can go check them out in Mount Juliet at the dealership once all of this melts and we are able to move around freely and easily. Once again, or you can go through their available inventory online at Two riversford.com. I'm looking at all of the great new Ford F-150s right now. The XL, the XLT, the King Ranch, all of these things. The Lariat. I mean, they're beautiful vehicles. And you can check them all out right now and test drive them once we are less snowbound there at Two Rivers Ford. All right, let's do five good minutes <laughs> right out of the gate. Because we are in a situation now that I, with Isaiah Wilson in particular, so John Robinson spoke today to the assembled Zoom media, the first Zoom of the 2021 NFL season, at least for Titans media. And so we we talked about a a great many topics. We talked about Isaiah Wilson. We talked about the upcoming offseason. We talked about the limitations as it relates to things like pro days that aren't currently on schedule, uh, Zoom, video conferencing, the five that they're allowed to have as the replacements for their face-to-face interactions. So many different things that came up over the course of our time talking with John Robinson. But the thing that really popped – was the comments on Isaiah Wilson? So what John says, you know what? I'll let John speak for himself, and then we can talk about it after the fact.
2: I'm just wondering about the future of Isaiah Wilson. Um, anything you can share on conversations you've had with him, his status, what you want to hear and see from him to make you feel like he's committed and wants to do this? Yeah, I think um, you know. Again, uh, we we put him on the on the reserve. Uh, non-football illness uh, list there. Uh, I haven't spoken to him since since that list got put out. You know, I think um, you know, we did a lot of work uh, a year ago um, leading up to selecting him, um, you know, the evaluation process, uh, talking to, you know, different sources, visiting with him countless numbers of times, and um, for whatever reason, you know, the, the the player that this this fall was here in Nashville wasn't the guy that was um, that we spent time with last year. Um, so I think, you know, he's going to have to make a determination, um, if he wants to do everything necessary to play pro football, um, and, and, and that's going to be, you know, on him. Um, so, um, I know what the expectation level is here. It's no different than any other player on the football team. You know, we have a certain standard, uh, that we want players, uh, to prepare and, and, and um, perform at professionally, uh, and as people and, um, a lot of work to be done there how, how do you feel about things at this point i know you just said you have not talked to him but how do you feel about where things stand now and how close are you to feeling like you have to move on yeah i mean we'll we'll see you know that's I'm, I'm constantly monitoring uh situation you know we have, we have people that are, have been in contact with him um that i've talked through so i kind of third party wise um but we'll, we'll see how that one goes
1: so that was Titans GM John Robinson not, you know, excoriating is too harsh a word, but he did not have uh he did not uh, have kid gloves on when he was discussing the former first round pick who he has as he said not spoken to since placing Isaiah on the reserve non-football list last year in like week 16 or 17. All of this to say that this is a player that many of you expected to be cut today. I think that was largely what was being circulated when I put out on Twitter that John Robinson was going to hold an off-season press conference. Everybody freaked out. They thought it was about cutting Isaiah because everybody sees what's happening with Isaiah on social media. He hasn't been shy about essentially being double middle fingers to the things that he should or should not be doing or at least not showing it off to the public. Whether it looks like you're smoking something that you probably shouldn't be smoking but your hand is covering it and so you think that's acceptable to post on your social media. Whether you are video, videoed or photographed among you know bikini-clad women and, and uh, thousands of uh, single-dollar bills on boats in Miami when you're supposed to be taking time to yourself – to get things right, and of course, that's all been well documented. the The DUI is one thing; it seems like eons ago. Damn near, it's, almost, it's damn near a year ago since he got a DUI, and everything since then has. I don't want to say it's worse because DUI is is a really, really serious infraction, but everything has just spiraled with this dude in a way that I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this before. My 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 depth of knowledge. With the NFL, it's not it's not that great. Not to say that I don't know things about football, but you know, I've only watched football for so long. I'm sure there have been many, many first round picks over the course of football history that have been malcontents to a degree, but never one in the social media age that just so publicly doesn't give a shit. And that's the biggest problem with Isaiah. It's it's the fact that, you know, many and, and you, you know, you take the optics for what they're worth. Right. Isaiah Wilson doesn't need to be posting all manner of workout videos for me to know and be comforted that Isaiah Wilson's in the gym. But it's that Isaiah Wilson is posting nothing of the like and posting all manner of private jets and birthday celebrations with the giant Oreo pizza cookie cakes and looking to be wildly out of shape and just just general. Just general apathy towards what it is to be a football player. John didn't say Isaiah by name when he later on in the press conference talked about, you know, we want players. And I'm paraphrasing here. But essentially, we want players who are going, who love football, who don't just want, hell, I'll read the quote. We have to continue to find guys that love ball. That's the one thing that we want. Guys that love ball. Guys that want to be pro football players. Not guys that just put pro football player as their hashtag on their Instagram or their Snapchat or their Twitter. We want guys that actually want to play the game of pro football because it is a strain. Pro football is hard. And you have to love, really love football and want to do it. And that is more than just putting it in your Twitter as your occupation. That's not saying Isaiah Wilson directly. But we all know who he's talking about, right? And so the saga of Isaiah Wilson here in five good minutes, it just continues to roll on in a way that is public and and quite cringe, cringe worthy to all parties involved in a way that just makes you say, what the hell are we even doing here? How much longer do we want to continue this charade? If you're so far out on Isaiah Wilson at this point, maybe you're going to give him an opportunity. But the fact that you haven't even talked to this guy you know, just says to everybody, you don't really have an interest in dealing with him in dealing with all the, the crap that comes with Isaiah Wilson. And make no mistake, it is just unmitigated crap, and it's constant. And John Robinson is the person who's ultimately going to be held responsible for Isaiah Wilson because that was the guy that he picked. And, they, you know, they said they vetted him. They said they went through all these things. And yet here Isaiah Wilson sits. Uh <laughs> You know, on a private jet, looks like he's enjoying himself. I wish I wish someday I can live that life, Uh, but I will not have the means probably in my lifetime, although I've made a very successful career as somebody who just, you know, sits in their home office in the middle of a snowstorm pandemic and talks into a microphone to you guys. But uh, I hope to one day live the lifestyle that Isaiah Wilson is living. The problem is Isaiah Wilson hasn't earned that lifestyle yet. Five good minutes. Here on the 615 Sessions. We're going to get to Alex and Vingan momentarily. I'm going to tell you quickly about our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. It is not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean that the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1.00 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes a basket, makes a three, you cash $100. It's an exceptional bet. It's a no, no-brainer no offer. They have profit boosts. They have no-brainers. They have all manner of things to get you going and to make you immediately successful when it comes to the sports wagering that is now legal in the state of Tennessee. I did this very actually I did the 50% profit boost. I did not do the $1 to make $100 1 to 100 odds because I'm not a new user, but I bet Iowa State plus 11 tonight or this afternoon rather at Oklahoma State. I uh, I got the 50% profit boost. That means you can wager a minimal amount and still make twice as much as you would. Otherwise, DraftKings Sportsbook, that's the place where you have to be going. And you have to use the promo code A-to-Z Sports. So go download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now as you're listening to this podcast. Plug in that promo code A-to-Z Sports, that's A-T-O-Z Sports, to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. Promo code A-to-Z Sports for new customers to get a shot at 100-to-1 odds on any basketball team, to hit a three-point shot only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Remember, though, you must be 21 or older, Tennessee only. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call or text the Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789. DraftKings Sportsbook as we do this from the DraftKings Sportsbook Studios, promo code A to Z Sports. Let's talk to Adam Vingen and Alex Doherty about blowing up the Preds. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast from the DraftKings Sportsbook Studios. Vingen, make sure you use that promo code A to Z Sports. Adam Vingen of The Athletic and 102.5 The Game from time to time. And Alex Doherty, our Preds writer for A-to-Z Sports, Nashville.com, have joined me here on the podcast. Hello, gentlemen. You look well. You look warm. I hope you are uh, not slipping and sliding out in the uh, frigid conditions that we find ourselves in. I
0: have, I have not stepped outside my front door. So
1: I've gone into the backyard to walk the dog, but that's it just into the backyard see i've literally the reason i delayed this podcast is because my girlfriend is from florida and so she is in not not a state of panic but she is distraught by the weather that we have at present and i'm from indiana where this is not you know this is nothing this is this is a tuesday in in mid-april uh for me so i had to go and what not had to got to go pick her up from her apartment bring her to the house so that if we experienced any loss of power tonight, she would not be, uh, she would not be in a state of panic. That is the danger.
0: Lost, losing power. Uh, I, so far, obviously, everything's fine. But uh, I, don't, I, I assume most people are fine in terms of power outages.
1: I mean, if listen, if if I didn't have power, I wouldn't have Wi-Fi, and we couldn't get this uh, this shit off the ground. So we're we're doing good so far.
3: I think I've lost power like once in six years of living here. Ooh,
1: so humble brag. Yes, very lucky. <laughs> I uh, I lost power for about six days during or after the tornado, and that was as, uh, as oh, right. close to destitute as I've ever been. I was taking cold showers, which I would not recommend.
3: As a freshman in high school, when I was still living at home in Virginia, we lost power for six days after, I don't remember which hurricane, we got hit by a lot of them. We were without power for six days. And I remember at one point hooking up my PlayStation two to the generator so that I could play Madden without power. So that's, that's as, that's as, that's the extent of my, my significant power outage, uh, as, as significant as it goes
1: it's just priorities but anyway we're not here to talk about natural disasters we're not here to talk about power out we are here
3: to talk about a natural yeah. disaster okay I gonna, it's just a different kind of disaster <laughs> a, a
1: very different disaster and a different kind of power outage perhaps a power Ooh. play outage uh, look at those as, play on words uh, I, I talk for a living being and this is what i do anyway the national predators stink we uh they are they will play a game by the time that this podcast is heard. They will play Dallas, uh, who I believe, if I heard correctly on the Preds-Nashcast, which you can subscribe, rate, and review to in this very same podcast feed, they have 10 games remaining between Dallas and Tampa Bay, in which they are currently 0-6 against those two teams. So it's not getting better, and they've just split a series against terrible, terrible Detroit, where they actually got outscored in that series. And now the entire internet, because this is the first... Weekend without football. Everybody directs their attention to the professional hockey, the local professional hockey team, and they are met largely with scorn. So, Wingen, uh, where do we start? Who do you point the finger at? Who do you want? Do you want to fire people? Do you want to do you want to just purge the roster? You want to start selling people off for parts? What do you want to do?
3: I feel like I'm playing roller coaster tycoon or something.
1: <laughs> That's basically what this podcast is.
3: Basically, the predators are one of those roller coasters you would build in that game that you would purposely not finish, just so that people would go over the edge and die. Um, <laughs> we, we all did it. If you're if you're listening, you played Roller Coaster Tycoon. You, we all did it.
1: Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing sadistic about that at all. It's just a part no, of growing up. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's
3: not going well, as you said, Buck. And you know, I I have been here for it. Will it will be. So, you know, miraculously, it will be six years next month since I moved here. And in my six years covering this team, I have never seen the anger that I am currently experiencing, not me personally, but, you know, by covering the team and being around them every day, tangentially, I absorb that anger. I have never seen the fan base angrier than I have in the last couple of weeks. Um, It is insane to put it bluntly um just how angry the predators fan base is and while i can certainly understand some of the anger because a lot of the vocal a lot of the vocal portion of the fan base feels as if though they were sold a false bill of goods by this franchise Um, they made it to the Stanley cup final. It was to use that word again, a miraculous run. Um, they won the president's trophy as the best team in the regular season the following year. Uh, perhaps that, uh, influenced, well, it definitely influenced personnel decisions. And now that bill is coming due, uh, for the organization, um, with nothing to show for it. Um, you look at some other teams around the NHL, who are in the midst of or had pr- have recently experienced this sort of downturn. You think of the Chicago Blackhawks, you think of the Los Angeles Kings. To an extent, you could talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Washington Capitals. Um, the caveat, of course, is that all of those teams have won at least one. Most of them have won multiple Stanley Cups. So their fan bases can live with the fact that they are experiencing in the, in the specific instances of the Kings and Blackhawks those fan bases can live with the fact that their team is going through some lean years because they've won what a combined five Stanley cups between them in the past decade. Um, the predators did not do that, of course. Um, so, you know, who am I pointing the finger at? I mean, I've got fingers pointed in a lot of different directions. Um, I point my finger, my, I, my, my sharpest jab, my sharpest finger point, um, is at David Poyle, And it goes back to what I was saying before that everybody remembers, and I I don't mean to hog all the time here, Alex and Buck. um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) The the,
1: uh, gas bag.
3: Yes, such a gas bag. Um, Anyway, David Poyle famously or infamously, after they lost in the second round of the postseason in 2018 to the Winnipeg Jets, who were the second best team in the league that season, the Predators were the best team in the league, made the decision not to make any changes to the roster. And at the time you could, you could sell that because they had just won the president's trophy. It feels like that may have in hindsight was a terrible mistake. Um, And now it feels like they're trying to dig their way out of it. The problem is, is that their roster is just so poorly constructed and they have so much money tied up in guys who are not performing up to those particular, you know, their specific salaries that the answers to fix this are hard to discover. And and that's where I think the anger comes from.
1: Alex, is it fixable?
3: Well, um,
0: is it fixable? Wow. Um, I'm I'm not entirely sure. The the only thing that I would add to to Adam's um, to how he put that and I I don't think there's anything I I disagree with at all. Um, That's because he
1: talked the whole damn time. That's his fault. (laughs)
0: No we talked we talked about this uh, link and I did on our on our podcast obviously as as you mentioned uh, there's a lot to that uh, but I think that the, the sort of the key to our points were, were number one that this has been slowly boiling over a cor- over the course of time this is not something that just like so all of a sudden we realized David Poole is not good at this there are I mean you can you can pinpoint so many benchmarks of this was a bad decision this was a bad decision this was a bad decision and just over time, he has clearly uh, piled up more misses than hits in, in in the grand scheme of things. Look, he had some he had some grace period at the beginning of the Predators franchise. He had uh, some some real success in uh, in building a very low budget uh, conscious kind of team uh, in the mid 2000s, and then into the into the early 2010s. Barry Trotz leaves. He he really does a good job to get Peter Laviolette because he was able to revamp and uh, maybe instill a different kind of a different kind of coaching with that team. Obviously, that was a success for much much of it until the very end. Uh, but again, there's been so many misses that have that have piled up. I mean, the, 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 the list is so long and that are really manifesting on the ice right now. The defense is the worst that it's looked. The special teams are the worst and pair, the worst pair of special teams in the league. The, the, you know, the power play isn't the worst power play and the penalty kill isn't the worst penalty kill, but they're both really bad. And that makes for a terrible combination. Uh, the goaltending is just the, the, the and UC Saros are not saving the team. Like we once saw, um, can they fix it? I, my my take is that they cannot fix it unless they have new leadership. That's that's my take. So if they get new leadership and they totally uh, blow everything up, and there's a lot of ways you can blow it up, there's some key pieces you're going to have to keep. Of course, Roman Yossi is one you have to keep because he's got a new move clause. Uh, but that's about it. I mean, there's there's not a lot of other pieces that I would consider ones that you can't move, except for the guys that haven't played yet, like Tomasino and Askarov, the the prospects. But um, the, the fix is to me all about at the top uh, if you fix the top then you can move on and, and improve your franchise
1: so I kind of look at this just from just from a general roster construction in professional sports perspective right like the thing the thing that I've always admired from afar about David Poil because I don't have the kind of interactions that you two do with him but he he has always, at least strive to have a degree of public transparency, at least for the sake of the fan base. But the thing that I get hung up on with not just David Poyle, but executives in professional sports in general, when it comes to personnel people is that how often of them get married to their own guys because they made the decisions to bring them in. They knew that they were reliable because they made the right picks. They found the right pieces they rewarded them with big contracts. So, of course, it's going to work out. But time and time again, not just David Poyle, not just the Nashville Predators, you see it across any sport. There is such an unwillingness to move on from familiarity that even as David Poyle, at least over the course of my tenure here, I've been here a year, uh, a year less than Vingan has over the course of five years, heading into six almost. David Poyle has been pretty upfront about we need to make changes, we need to be better, we need to do these things, and you know, has taken action in his from from at least what he believes to be the correct actions. That were taken, and it's just kind of falling apart because the talent is not there. The players that they paid are largely unreliable. Whether it be Ryan Johansson, the disaster that was Kyle Turris, so on and on. I know you and Link uh, Alex talked about the the PK Subban Shea Weber trade, and whether you know that was just criticism in in retrospect or not of of how all those things ended up panning out. But all you know, the results are what they are. This is a team that is largely incompetent, and there's enough of a sample size to say, okay, it's not just the roster. It's not just Poyle. It's John Hines, too. And so when Alex says, blow it up, Vingen, I'm, I'm with him. Just enough of this. Like, start selling dudes for parts. See what you can get for Philip Forsberg, and I imagine it has to be a lot.
3: Yeah. For- unfortunately, there is not one big red button that yeah. you can hit that says rebuild and then everything just miraculous. I'm using miraculously too much magically uh, fixes itself. He's a wordsmith Um, people. Yes. Wordsmith. Um, So when you look back at some of the contracts and moves that David Poyle has made over the past five years, you know, no one complained at the time about the PK Subban Shea Weber trade. I mean, P.K. Subban, for two years, was a star for this franchise. I mean, yeah, he played a significant role in getting them to the Stanley Cup final. The following year, he was a Norris Trophy finalist. His third season, you know, it was when you began to see the decline starting, and then they, they moved him for spare parts to clear the cap space. But Victor Arvidsson's contract, everybody thought that was a great contract, I think, for the most part. I don't want to speak, you know, I don't want to put a blanket statement, but I can't remember anybody being particularly upset about that I remember,
1: contract, I remember one. We can, can talk we about it can we think? Of, can, I I because I think Alex and I are thinking of the same person. It was, it was Jared Stillman,
3: Stillman Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Moving on. Um. But most people, God love him, we not we're not upset about it, especially because of how well Victor played in the first couple of years of that contract. When Ryan Johansson was signed, he was coming off of what was a fabulous playoff run for him until he was hurt, and mm-hmm. and you can certainly play revisionist history about what might happen if he never got hurt and continued to play that way and they faced the penguins in the stanley cup final I, you know th- you can't necessarily say that they would have won the stanley cup but i think they might have been more competitive in that series at least so you know there are a couple of things though that were problematic you know dave I, you know i i called uh i think i call i think i called it at the time that the, the three-team trade that brought in Kyle Turris was made, which was November of 2017. Matt Duchesne was forever David Poyle's white whale. And he, was, he did whatever, whatever he could to get Duchesne. And he, you know, I feel like Turris was sort of the consolation prize. And then they went out and got Duchesne and you know he is he an 8 million dollar player no but you know he had such a fascination with Matthew Shane that it was only a matter of time <laughs> before he came here um but when i when i think about you know what this team can do in the short term you know because big moves like trading you know, Ryan Johansson or Matthew Shane, for example, those are off season moves. Those are Seattle expansion draft type moves. Those players aren't going to be traded in season because it's hard to move those players anyway, but then try moving them in season when no team has cap space because of the world that we're living in right now. So the first step is to basically trade anybody Trade any veteran on a short-term or expiring, expiring contract, excuse me. Trade Mikhail Gramblund, trade Eric Kala, trade Brad Richardson, trade Nick Cousins. And here's the big one. The first major move that the Predators can make this season to start building towards a rebuild is trading Matias Ekholm. That's the first thing that they should do. He, he is, in my opinion, their most valuable trade chip, probably overall, but definitely in season. It would make their it would make their expansion draft questions a lot simpler because they wouldn't have to worry about protecting him. He's got one more year on his deal. I think you could easily get a couple second round picks. I had someone tell me that Matthias Ekholm would be worth a first round pick on the trade market. I think you know it would be hard to get rid of Matthias Ekholm. He's been a steady guy on that blue line for several years, but. These are the decisions you have to make. These are the hard choices you have to make when you're trying to build rebuild a franchise. And I think the first major
1: step they can in season is trade Matias Econ. So Alex, I'm speaking from a place of ignorance because I don't know David Poyle. I've not I've had very, very limited act, uh, interactions with David Poyle. Is he is he capable of doing something like this? Like, would he make these difficult decisions as as Bengen's just outlined? Would he be willing to concede that this roster is not in a place where it can be any kind of competitive? Because right now, it's just flat out not. I, I'm going to say no, uh,
0: and and that and be, because it goes along with my my theory that that the re- the team really can't get over this until they have new leadership. But I'm going to make a comparison here, so like. Have you ever guys seen? you guys ever seen the show Dragons Den? No, I don't think so. Have you you've seen Shark Tank? Yes. Yeah. So Shark Shark Tank. I'm sorry. Dragons Den is the British version of Shark Tank. Naturally, uh, it's great. <laughs> I love Those it. Brits it's, love dragons. <laughs> it's all, it's 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 the exact same premise as Shark Tank, except British. i is, ang- is
3: there a British Mister Wonderful?
0: Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Does he yeah. You have a
3: crappy nickname
0: no no he's uh peter mr. jones exquisite That's... perhaps no his name's peter jones he's tall he's handsome
3: and he's very mean so not so not mr wonderful Who's yeah he's he? not not physically no
0: so but now,
1: he plays that role quickly not to cut alex off at the knees but why if you knew that the the, the vast majority of the audience is not going to know what the hell dragon's did, it did you not just go shark tank out of the gate like well what i happened? didn't
0: know i, I thought maybe there's a chance Anyway, are you
1: kidding me? I love I love the audience. I love all of you that are listening to this podcast. Largely, you are uncultured heathen. it on
0: BBC. I thought there was a chance Adam would have heard of it. Possibly,
1: maybe. No, I'm not very much
3: up on British culture. I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> I,
0: I am I am a bit of an Anglophile. I love British television. So, anyways, the, beside the point, there was a recent episode I was watching where a guy goes to to push his show uh, his product. I think he was selling socks or something. It was some sort of new sock. Typical Dragon's Den. Thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, so he's selling his socks and he has like so much stock. He like, he has like 400,000 socks that he can't sell. And he's looking for these entrepreneurs to like push his, uh, socks for him. And one of the, one of the entrepreneurs says, you, you have a problem of too much money. He basically said your, your sock issue. And the reason I'm not investing, he said, is because you have a problem of too much money. And, And what happened is with this guy and what I think has happened with David Poyle is by having too much money, by having too many resources, he stopped becoming resourceful. He stopped becoming shrewd with his deals. He he stopped thinking smarter. He stopped thinking of making tough decisions with between two things. He started just kind of throwing money at problems, making big splashy trades in order to make something happen. Um, I mean, if you like, you mentioned the Ryan Johansson deal, like, there was no way he's not going to sign Ryan Johansson to that big contract, but he doesn't even trade for Ryan Johansson if he doesn't have that money to sign him to it. Same thing right. with Matt Duchesne. Uh, same thing with the contract for Kyle Turris, which was a complete,
3: complete disaster. I will um, give him credit for one thing, though, on the Kyle Turris front. And I'll always remember this. Our friend Jim Diamond asked uh, David Poyle at the press conference following that three team trade about the contract, which was six years, $36 million, uh, whether he had any uh, hesitance, if he was hesitant uh, to sign a player in his late 20s to that contract. And David's response was, well, they wanted eight. So give David credit for not signing into an eight-year contract versus a <laughs> six-year contract. Moving that's on, that's like
1: that's like that's like John Robinson sitting up there before us the, the the week they cut Vic Beasley and say, "Well, we initially thought about the about a multi-year deal," and everybody just sitting back in their chair. <laughs> the hell are you talking about? Anyway, I'm sorry, Alex. Sorry, well, go but, ahead, Alex.
0: That, that's that, the point is, as soon as the pocketbook opened up and David Poe had a lot more resources, yeah. I remember the, the first decade of this franchise was extremely penny, uh, penny wise. You know, there, there was not a lot of money to go around. Even when the league changed in 2005, 2006, the, the Predators still didn't spend a lot of money. I mean, the Paul Cria contract was like huge. I mean, they had no idea. That was what, annoyed, like,
3: like nine and a half over two years or something like yeah, that? It was,
0: it was, yeah, it was like barely $5 million a yeah. year. So it, the, that, that was a much different time. And David Poyle was a different GM. I think when you give him these resources, when you give him all this time and, and money to, to work with, I think he's just—he thinks differently. He thinks differently than that. I think he would be much more, um, much more successful in a early franchise kind of situation rather than a, one that's established, has a good fan base, has a really good situation there on broad, on Broadway, good 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 fan team situation. But for some reason, when you when you just give him gobs of resources, he doesn't always make really good
3: decisions. Maybe maybe that's true for a lot of GMs, but I just know I know it's true about David Poyle. And and the question about what comes next, right? Because it's easy to say, well, David Poyle shouldn't be the GM anymore. Well, the question is, who's next? Right. Because, you know, they're not going to fire David Poyle. I mean, he basically, he almost literally built the franchise from the ground up. I mean, he's been here since day one. Um, So, you know, they're not going to just kick him out, kick him out. You know there are plenty of examples, not just in the NHL, but in 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 sports in sports as a whole, where a GM who's getting up in years, or perhaps the team is looking for a different direction, they kick him upstairs. They make him, you know, the president of hockey operations, which David actually is already. But they, you know, they kick him upstairs. It's a handy play by
1: David to just go ahead and block the uh, block the. Uh, promotion that's not really a promotion so you know right. i'll take that title too <laughs> so i think of
3: I think a couple of examples you know five six years ago the philadelphia flyers made a change at gm they brought in ron Hextall, of course famous flyers goaltender last week named the pittsburgh penguins gm they yeah. brought him in and promoted his predecessor paul holmgren to president so You know, someone brought this, actually gave this example to me today, which I thought, which is not hockey related, but I think would maybe best serve as a template is John Elway with the Denver Broncos, because I believe John Elway was the president of football operations and the GM, but recently surrendered his GM responsibilities, remained the president of football operations, remained in an advisory capacity, but said that the general manager would have the final say over personnel decisions like if you're going to if the Predators are going to keep David Poyle in some sort of front office position it needs to be in a role where he does not have the final say over the product on the ice he can be a sounding board he can advise the GM but it's ultimately the GM's has the final say you don't want David to over necessarily oversee the GM and still be able to you know be the the puppet master so to speak i feel like if you're going to keep him you have to keep him in a role where final decision making responsibilities are completely taken
1: out of his hands see that's that's because you're right they're not just gonna mark they're just not they're not gonna toss him out in the street uh, it's they he means too much and listen rightfully so david or poyle, he could just retire
3: he could just retire
1: well but can they can they and he can yeah is there anybody in that organization who will go to david poyle and be like listen david this this needs to end in some form or fashion. We are going to give you the option to go out on your own terms, be that retirement, be that stepping into the kind of advisory role that Vingan is talking about. Can somebody do that with David Poyle though? Again, I don't understand enough. I don't know enough about the inner workings of the organization to understand if David Poyle has that kind of check um, to him. Uh, if there's somebody there that can that can approach him that way, be, given that his his seniority supersedes almost anybody in the organization, not named the owner, um, can can David Poyle be reasoned with on that point? Do we think,
3: Alex? Why don't you go ahead? Because I'm a gasbag. I, I I am honestly
0: I I don't I don't think so. I, okay. look, I, I'll I'll bring up one comparison though. Uh, and I only know a little bit about this, and I know that you're tired of probably talking about this. But uh, I mean, was who was the person that was going to go to Philip Fulmer and tell him to step down over at UT over at uh, UT Knoxville?
1: I mean, that didn't happen, right? The NCAA with a big old bu- a bucket of sanctions. Exactly. And listen, <laughs> Phil, you can take your one point three and walk for the next three years. You're going to get about three hundred thousand dollars a month. You're going to live a nice life. You're going to retire. You're going to be on. You know, you're going to be a legend of all time, and and things will be. You know, you will be regarded by the fan base with some scorn for a while, but everything will work out for you. Get out of here.
0: Exactly. It took it. took this an out, an, outside, uh, an outside entity and one with uh, a, a quite an edge in the NCAA to do that. There is no such entity in the NHL that's going to come in and say, we need to remove David Boyle because it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I, I don't think so. I think it's going to have to be entirely intrinsic. It's going to have to come from within himself to say, it's, di- it's time for me to move on. I need to retire
3: or step aside, let someone else take over. Um, I also wonder... If if so, the predators are owned by a conglomerate of business people. There's like twelve to fifteen people, you know, on the oh, in, listed Jesus. in the listed in the media guide. That, no, that no, like have a,
1: majority stakeholder. There has to be.
3: There is. Okay. But there, but it's not a singular owner. And I wonder if things would be different if the predators had a singular front-facing owner in NHL circles. I'm talking about someone like. Ted Leontis in Washington or Tom Dundon in Carolina, or God forbid Eugene Melnick in Ottawa, you know, or Bill Foley in Vegas, you know, they are the, the, they are the, the primary owner. They have the biggest stake. Perhaps they own the entire team. I don't know how it works in other markets, but I wonder if there was, if there was more of a singular front facing owner, if this would be different and I can't speak to that specifically. Um, I too I'm, not, you know, I'm learning more. I'm trying to learn more about the inner workings of the ownership structure. Um, Adam, I
0: just, I just really want you to write an article that says that the Nashville predators need someone like Eugene Melnick.
3: Yes, exactly. That would go over well. <laughs> that would, that would, that would overtake my recent John Hines story as my most unpopular take of all time. <laughs> and I feel like, by the way, I, I, you know, I, I knew sidebar, I knew that that story about John Hines was going to go over like a wet fart and it did. Um, And I think, you know, perhaps I didn't articulate my point well enough, or perhaps people were so blinded by their rage towards John Hines that they don't care. (laughs) what my point was, and that happens sometimes too, but my (laughs) argument was that this was not to say that John Hines is a perfect coach or a master tactician or a coach that's being held back By the roster that he's been given my point is that this team has so many deeper issues in how it's constructed that very few coaches could squeeze more out of this group than what john is getting that doesn't mean that john is going to be the, you know, is going to have a Barry Trotz like run in Nashville and be this coach, the coach of this team. No, no coaches are like that anymore. But you know what I'm saying. It's not as if though John is, you know, it, it was beyond reproach because he has had, you know, he's made some decisions that are a bit head scratching. But the point, my point was that I don't like Peter LaViolette near the end of his time here wasn't able to get much more out of this group. And I'm unconvinced that another coach would get more out of this group, which goes to, Alex's point that I feel like if you're going to tear it down and you want to bring in a new coach for that so be it my argument was that John if I'm if I'm handing out blame for what this team has looked like on the ice John is maybe third on my list he's Mm -hmm. not at the top of the list
1: see and for those unfamiliar with the article which you can get a subscription to the athletic they're running all kinds of specials it's very cost effective and very informative for the some of the best in sports journalism such as Adam Vingan and Joe Rexrode and many of our other friends when you're not reading of course alex doherty at a to z Sports, uh for the people that may not have seen the article Bing, and you essentially it, it came off at least the headline looked like a little bit of a defense of john hines based on all of the issues just this is why on. you can't just read the headline yeah but people are, <laughs> and listen i love i love everybody uh that's listening to this podcast, but people are largely dumb. Like we we, we fight against this all the time. If you don't put it, it it's honestly it's on you, Vingan, because you underestimated their inability right. to yeah. not to uh to find nuance or to not want to argue with just the headline itself yeah. and actually go in and see what I wrong.
3: will admit because oftentimes you, you hear these stories all the time in journalism when people get mad at a headline and the reporter will say to the person who's mad, I didn't write the headline or reporters don't write the headlines. I will 100% fully admit I wrote that headline <laughs> and perhaps I could have had more nuance in it. Um, just as an, as an example of that,
0: of, that just happened uh, actually Buck. Uh, so the, the uh, John Hines said today uh, that Ryan Johansson traveled with the team. Uh, so he's Ryan Johansson has been injured. He's been out. He's been declared as week to week. Uh, but then Ryan Johansson's traveled with the team to Dallas, and there's a chance that he might play in Columbus later this week. Okay. Which I think is probably sooner than most people thought. No one really knew the extent of the injury. But um, anyway, so I, I just put something out about it saying, hey, look, some good news. Finally, some good news. One of the the one of the, their bigger players is coming back from injury. And, of course, naturally, people are just like, oh, Ryan Johansson's back. Where's the good news? <laughs> so, exactly because people right. – He's a, a constant whipping boy of Preds fans that Ryan Johansson simply because he plays at a different pace than a lot of other players, simply because he's not diving headfirst into the goal like Victor Arbidsson, that he's not trying hard or that he's not as, as good a hard of a worker. When in reality, Ryan Johansson's probably un, the underlying statistics say that he's been one of the better players this year at five on five, maybe not on the power play, but definitely at five on five. And uh, yeah, so anyways, it's just uh, to your example of people don't read the articles. People don't care what's inside. They care about the headline. And the headline
3: was, Ryan Johansson's back. Yeah, so, and, and, not back, but you know. And, and you like with, and with John, like there are so many things working. Could it, he is so,
1: he is so I'm, I'm, hell-bent on, on defending this.
3: I, I, we're on the topic. I'm trying <laughs> oh, to defend myself here. No, listen, nobody else is going to do it for you, buddy. Get right, out there and exactly. do it. Nobody else is going to do it for me. There are a lot of things working against John Hines and some of them are their his own doing of course first of all john is a much more mild-mannered individual than peter laviolette we know peter laviolette on the bench you know we we've seen the 247s with him with the flyers we saw it in nashville he can the guy can get fired up yeah. and people like to see that especially when the team is struggling john is john's temperament is not that you know his record in new jersey was uh, um, unremarkable but you also have to keep in mind the kind of team he was hired to coach in new jersey <laughs> if i'm not mistaken the only team he had that was expected to do good things was his last team the team that traded for pk suban that had jack hughes that signed wayne simmons and then they st- they they were really bad at the beginning of the season and he got fired you know a couple months in but You know, if not for Taylor Hall's MVP season, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs the one year that he made the playoffs. So I think that context sometimes gets lost, too. Um, I think the other the other thing about John is,
0: uh, Adam, and I think this 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 is certainly not coming supposed to come off as a a defense. But I think that people uh, really did not understand
3: why he was hired mid-season like the way he was. Yes. Um, that 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 was an interesting it was interesting that he was hired full-time one exactly. day after the right. previous coach was fired. And and, and no,
0: for and especially considering that like the, there were some other options out there, some other options came
3: uh
0: available certainly thereafter i think pete de boer was fired maybe sometime shortly
3: thereafter not pete that pete DeBoer was available at the time pete de boer was available at the time at the time okay that, that peter was fired. peter labial okay. was fired. okay so but then
0: there were other some other options and, and people were thinking you know make, make whoever uh carl uh, taylor carl taylor make someone an interim the admiral's um, coach for those right, it, it make an interim coach. Get to the summer, especially considering. I mean, uh, we, they did no idea what was going to happen with COVID, but right, um, get get to summer. Make a hire then to 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 foc- refocus your team. The 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 instant hire to get a guy who, by the way, you have ties to with U.S. Hockey did not go well with with a lot of fans. So I think that's part of it too. It's yeah, not no, just the- absolutely. It's Absolutely. the demeanor that you're talking about. It's the product on the ice we're seeing. It's the circumstances around the hire. It's all of that, that that doesn't sit well with people. Could it work out? I have no idea. I don't. I don't think so because I think that the end is probably near for Boyle, which means the end is probably near for Hines. But I, it, John Hines is at, at this point kind of a just um, a meh person that is involved in this whole situation that that you don't really have any feelings one way, one way or the other. The only thing I will say in defense as. Someone who gets to ask him questions, and I know you'll agree with this. He's really good about answering questions. He will actually answer questions completely and fully, which he doesn't hate my
3: guts tough. like the previous coach.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: but the other guy seems so much happier now that he's in Washington. The videos ago, yeah, what all the, over fuck the fuck place? is that about? Sorry, like you that's just that just okay.
3: Nuts. Like I, I remember, I remember when he got hired. I told all of my colleagues in Washington. Like I warned them. I said, like he's like, this is what it's going to be like. And that they've lost, they started, I think six, Oh, and three, and they've lost four consecutive regulation games. And apparently he has yet to blow up. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, (laughs) I mean, maybe it's because he's on zoom. So it's a little bit different, but like, you know, this warm and cuddly joking, like when, when like I remember our dear friend, Joe Rexford was like, like when did Peter LaViolette develop a sense of humor? Cause he oh. definitely didn't have one for the five years he was here when I was here. Yeah. Like I, I, I think he was replaced by some sort of cyborg. No, you know, I don't think it's actually Peter. I don't I think, think it, I don't problem. think it was a Peter problem. I think it was a you problem. It was a me problem. I yeah, he, I mean I I, I mean I look. think you you he just hated
1: you so much. What's the your, hate about me though? I'm a very nice person. I well, you're, you're a lovely human being, but uh, <laughs> you know the and and you know what quibbles I have about the way that the Nashville Predators organization is run yes. um from from many different angles and and the 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 coddling that they felt necessary which is something that we're going to bring up because i you know i told i was told that this conversation was going to be soft i was told Ooh. that i would not receive any criticism Soft hey, media soft yeah. media yeah so you know maybe you should have been a little softer Ving, and you would have had a better you know, that, relationship that with the take,
3: coach i've never under I, I i mean i i've heard that take multiple times and alex alex has been in, you know in Nashville longer than i have so you know he can speak to this more than i can but you know like that's it's a take i've heard from multiple people so this is so you know the 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 main culprit recently was our friend nick hale um acquaintance Acquaintance a <laughs> friend acquaintance you know you know hanger on whatever you want to you know whatever <laughs> you want to <laughs> call them um you know, I like Nick, but the, I the do point, too, the point being that he was the he's he, he talked about it on 104.5 last week. He tweeted about it on Saturday. And I've never quite understood that argument. And look, we we in Nashville, we know this. We are not New York. We are not Boston. We are not Los Angeles. You know, Trevor Bauer basically blackballed the athletic because of things we wrote about him after the Dodgers signed him. Like if he thought he was getting off easy signing with the Dodgers instead of the Mets, the guy was nuts because LA is a pretty big market too. And I think part, and like you can even separate it between the Titans and the Predators, you know, because more people cover the Titans than the Predators, there are fewer voices. There are, you know, there are fewer points of view. And so, you know, I, you know, our friend Robbie Stanley was talking about this on, on his morning show, I think yeah, either yesterday or today. Like I understand fans are angry and I know that they want uh, those of us that have access to hold these players and coaches and managers accountable. But I think one thing that gets lost in translation is that you can hold people accountable, but you also have to understand that we are not, you know, someone on the other side of a, of a phone app or Twitter screen that can yell at these people with no repercussions. Like I have to work with these people every day. We, we, we bring up Peter LaViolette. Peter LaViolette, like in, the, in his half season with Nashville last year, our relationship deteriorated because I, just, I took it upon myself to ask him on multiple occasions how he was feeling about his job status while the team was struggling culminated with me asking him about it on national television after they lost to the Dallas stars at the winter classic.
1: And then he and, got fired
3: <laughs> and then he got fired five days later. But, but like I had like, I have to work. I had to work with him every day and I had to make the conscious decision to ask him those questions, knowing that everything else I asked him might either get ignored or answer in a curt fashion. So this isn't me being scared quote unquote, of the people who I have to work for, because I'm not scared of any of them. But I also have to keep in mind that while I'm still holding them accountable, I do need them in order to do my job accurately. So there is a fine line you have to tread between holding them accountable and not being this sort of
1: firebrand who's yelling and screaming at them. Well, that's, that's the thing I think people don't understand, Alex, is that... You know, because I, I deal with this at least all of last season with Mike Vrabel and, and defense, right? Uh, why why aren't you why aren't you shouting him down in the post game press conferences because they didn't get a sack? Because today? Vrabel will kick the shit out of you. Well, and also, you know, I Vingen, not scared of any of the press people. I'm not scared of Mike Vrabel anymore, but they were that first year. I'm not going to lie, I was I was pretty intimidated <laughs> by Mike.
3: I mean, he would stuff your ass in a locker, not you specifically. But he is definitely a give you a wedgie and give you a swirly and then
1: stuff you in a locker. Kind are you of kidding me? If I take one more glance at the third field, I could I could physically see Mike reaching through the Zoom call and choking me out. Anyway, <laughs> Alex, I, th- I think people don't understand that we're not fans. Like right. this is they are treating this through their perspective. And the and the Nick Kale thing I and again Nick Nick is, Nick is a friend I make jokes whatever but it's a lazy opinion by somebody in the media one he's an embittered ex employee of the Nashville Predators radio network or radio flagship so of course he's going to have these emotions and of course he's going to let it spill over now that he's not uh, in uh, not that he's now that he's no longer inhibited by the place that employs it. He has a lot of built up stuff. We all, all of us who were there for a while have a lot of built up stuff. Some of us handle it a little better (laughs) than other people. Nick's just, Nick's, Nick's piling on to an easy argument to make because the narrative's out there about bread's media. And also the fans are doing what fans do, which is to look at it from the perspective of a fan and say, I'm upset that my team stinks. Why aren't you yelling at this person who I believe to be the face of responsibility for why my team stinks? Why are you as a representative or as a as a vessel between the fans and the team not yelling at this person the way that I would yell at this person? Because it's not our job to yell at these people.
0: Yeah. It, the yelling is, is dumb. It, it's just, it's just outright silly. P- people want this like viral video of a reporter and a they want John Tortorella yelling at Larry Brooks, that video. Like they want that. They want that, that viral moment where a coach is yelling at a reporter. Well, listen, I uh, want that too. But about not to be I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm 40. They want that. They want that stuff. That was what pre, they do-
3: That was pre-Mike Gundy mullet, by the way, I
1: think. Right, right. And pre-O-A-N.
0: But here's what here's what I've been saying and and what I just keep screaming into the void that apparently fans do not want to hear and that is the the media does hold the team accountable in the only way that they can the what they can do is they can ask the coach and the players exact questions about why did you have this li- why did you break up this line that was working really well or why didn't you uh, do X with a certain uh, move decision you know, to David Poyle? Or what happened on that shift where you know, this particular moment went wrong or what happened with the penalty kill? The, the, the media does do that. What I think happens is people listen to the, so, what sometimes are the louder voices, and that is the ones that come directly from the team. Um, without getting into names here, but there are, there are people who are paid directly by the team who do cover the team in a friendly way. Uh, i mean they just do i mean my, my instinct would be that, that that this tweet that adam's talking about that the guy was listening to the broadcast maybe and i think that's probably a fair assumption about what what was being said i mean the, the broadcast is generally pretty fair to the to the team sometimes they get upset about things that the team t- team did but most of the time it's just oh the other team did really well or the officiating was bad uh i i i really like the broadcast I think they' i think they're pretty good at what they do but if that's what you're going based, if that's what you're basing the media criticism on, you're not doing enough homework here. Because legitimate media sources that are actually calling things out and have written multiple articles, and I'm talking about Adam, I'm talking about myself, I'm talking about Justin Bradford, I'm talking about uh, the guys over at On the Forecheck, who I've worked well, who I've worked with in the past. They they all write critical stuff. I mean, this is this is not just um everyone has banded together and said okay we're just going to be really nice to them and we're not going to talk about how bad they are because you you can't you you can't even like look for if go find a positive article that i've written about the predators over the last year I, you can't find it you can't find this stuff i mean it doesn't doesn't exist
1: yeah people, I, I, you're asking people to be discerning right yes and, and and that's that's where we that's where we find ourselves. That's why people aren't reading Vingan's article. Z- well, I'm sure people read Vingan's article, but they'll many people read it. Trust me, many pe-
0: people read I know it. That,
1: I know that uh, the, you know this kind of started around you know
0: uh, holding someone like John Hines accountable. But Adam's right. Like if you go in there and just say, John, that was one of the worst decisions that I've ever seen you made make uh, uh, with a team. How dare you? Uh, those fans paid money. How can you allow that product on the ice to look so bad? What what is his response to that? What would he, what would he even say? He just oh, I'm sorry, Adam. Uh, we we're we're just coaching a team over here. Next question. I, right. I don't. Yeah. There would be no response that would make any sense. I mean, you cannot become an angry fan in that media setting. You have to ask a unbiased, important, and relevant question. And also, by the way, you got to do it pretty quickly because there's other people that have questions.
3: Yeah. So I mean, it's about nuance. I mean, the question. I mean, the question asking is hard. You it know, is. It is. It is hard just because, as Alex said, there's a certain nuance that goes into it, you know, to, to use the previous example about Peter LaViolette. I never asked Peter straight up, why do you deserve your job or do you think you should be fired? Because if someone asked me, do you think you should be fired? What the hell am I going to say? Of course not. Like I like I'm not going to do that. But like I, I think the first time I asked him about it, I asked him if he had been feeling any pressure from above meaning management and ownership about the way the team had been playing. Yeah. But like the, you know, but the, the point of the thing is, are, are you, are, how are you feeling about how you're doing? You know, there's a certain way to ask that question. It's all about nuance. And, and, you know, to John Hines, credit, as Alex previously said, John is willing to answer questions thoughtfully, even if you disagree with the content of the question of the answer, he's willing to answer questions thoughtfully and you know he gives you a lot more to digest and sometimes you're you're not going to like what he has to say Mm -hmm. um but at least he gives it a shot and you know i respect him for that um but it's i get it it kind of goes back to what we were talking about all the way at the beginning fans are pissed i've never seen anything you know i covered some you know before i moved here i covered some teams in washington that did not live up to expectations you know the early you know the the twenty. 11 through 15 Washington Capitals had a lot of, were supposed to be a lot better than they were. They finally broke through, of course, but Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom didn't win the Stanley Cup, right? You know, when or they probably won it later than they should have. And I have, and even then, I have never seen a fan base angrier with the direction of a franchise than I have this season with this Predators team. And I've been covering the NHL for close to a decade, and I've never seen it like this.
1: That's interesting. What a, what a gas bag phrase! I've been covering the NHL for close. I to have no, I know. It's just we're we're at the stage of our lives, Vingan, where we start where we start citing our own credentials, and it makes me very. Happy. I mean, I'm almost
3: thirty two, and I'm married, so I mean, I'm a gas bag now, That's and I'm, so there it
1: is. It, listen, it, it didn't take me near that long, so I commend you for holding out. As long as you did, Adam Vingan, you can read him at the Athletic for and all yell of him at me. And you can yell, yell at me him. at
3: the Athletic. Yeah. And in
1: fact, you can even get his private thoughts if you get an Athletic subscription. His uh, not his private thoughts, but his private predators' thoughts. I believe we've coined the term "only fangs" as opposed as opposed to "only fans" for the thoughts yeah. of Adam Vingan in game. Uh, so subscribe to the Athletic wherever it is that you get your online publications. You can read Alex Doherty for all of the coverage that he is giving us at A to z sports, Nashville.com. And listen to this, uh, to this podcast feed. If you're, if you're listening to me, you're probably listening to Alex every Sunday with the Preds Nashcast. subscribe, rate, and review. We love the five stars. Give us all the five stars, Alex and link deserve the more than I do. So subscribe rate. And review. It's been a pleasure.
3: My own podcast on a rival network on your podcast. Hell yeah. What do you mean? Well, our you know, our dear friend Braden Gall and I have a predators podcast on his new 440 sports podcast network called The Gold Standard. Okay, well, not apparently, we do have our own branded cocktail at Jasper's the sports bar on West End Avenue. It's called the Gold Standard. It's basically an alcoholic Arnold Palmer. It, I highly suggest it. Um, we, we record every Tuesday and web episodes go up on Wednesday. So when you're not listening to this podcast or any of the other podcasts on the AZ Sports Network, and you want to hear me yelling even more than I did today, you should listen to that podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. We have
1: too many friends is what I found out. We have friends. Directly. We do have a lot of friends. Let's friends all name be- one person we don't like. Ooh. <laughs> who, who wants to start? I, I don't, I don't mind starting. I just do need it. it. Okay. So one person in, in media or just in general, anybody doesn't matter. <laughs> hmm. Who don't I like? I have a very, I'm cause I have a lot of people that I dislike. This is so political. No, it's really not because I feel like I, I lash out at people all the time. I want it, but I want it to mean something. I just don't want to. I don't, I don't want to say a name that that it's. I'm just going to toss out in the ether. I want I want there to be legitimate beef. I really, really dislike Justin Beasley's sports opinions. <laughs> I hate him. I I I hate them to my core. I hate them. Now help. Uh, how- now, if I'm not mistaken, is he still covering sports? Oh, I don't know. Is he not?
3: I most of the so I actually do watch local news. I'm maybe that's why people that has local news on. Usually, as I'm waiting for the national news cut to come on. Yeah. So If I'm watching, if I watch ABC World News or NBC Nightly News, and I have one of those channels on at five, I'll watch it. And the last several times I've seen Beasley, he's been doing human interest stories that are not sports related. Okay. So I don't well, know maybe
1: maybe. I I don't know. Maybe they're transitioning him into a a big Joe on the go, where he's just he's 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 uh, he's moving further and further away from sports. And it's not it's not a personal dislike of Justin. I just find his sports opinions largely to be stupid. (laughs) Your your turn, Vingan. Pass. You started. You started this. Oh, pass. (laughs) Bullshit. I just, I just spent twenty, uh, the better part of five <laughs> minutes trying to think of people. Now, I don't, I don't outright hate anybody off the top of my head, but I I'm sure- going to pass too. Oh, both of you we set you right up on that one. we set you up well that's fine justin knows how i feel about his sports opinions
3: that's i don't know it. i don't nobody's there were plenty of people on twitter on saturday night who were on my shit
0: list i was gonna say i think there's a lot of people on twitter i could name i there, there are uh, people on twitter that really bug me
1: and in, in terms of people that anybody would know name names no let me see maybe they've maybe they've commented on something that i've well listen if you two will do it i hate nick kale on twitter I think I, I I largely hate Nick Hale on Twitter. I think his Twitter is the worst thing in local sports, 100. Okay, Stillman's Twitter is pretty bad too. No, I think he's I think Nick Hale is worse than Stillman. That's a low of, bar. No, That's no, no, a no. Low bar. Because Stillman Stillman genuinely, to his core, I think believes all of the stupid shit that he says. Okay. Like I really do think that Jared is so caught up in finding ways to make his arguments that he inherently talks himself into thinking these ways. And I don't dispute Nick Kale's uh, authenticity, but Nick Kale's Twitter is just so damn cringeworthy. Every time I see it, whether it be uh, announcements that nobody gives a shit about, or whether it be going after, going after the Preds media because you're an embittered former host on the Preds flagship radio station. Like I just, there are so many things that Nick does wrong on Twitter, or at least wrong from my perspective, that it makes me, it it influences my opinion of him as a person. And I don't, I, maybe that's not fair. I don't know. But th- listen, this is now two people, two people that I've named and you two have done nothing. Okay. I've got one and this will not make me
0: popular with a certain segment of Preds fans um, or with a certain segment of people who live in Nashville or in the South in general. Okay. I'm, I am not a big fan. And I really just kind of generally dislike Mike Fisher. Really? Interesting. I I, I really found him very cold and un, uninviting in terms of whenever you were talking to him. Um, and while I won't go on a political rant here, I think some of the politics are a <laughs> bit, uh, a, a bit uh, opposite of mine. Um but I, I, having said that, I, he also has one of the most incredible plays that I've ever seen in indi- individual plays in individu- in Predators history, and that would be the pass that he made to Victor Arvidsson to yes, uh, spring that goal. Yes. I mean, I, in terms of like best plays ever in the franchise history, that's one of the most mind blowing plays I've ever seen. Was that so, Stanley Cup final? Yeah, the game three. Yeah, yes. or maybe game four. One of the two. It definitely
3: one of the games in Nashville. So yeah, yeah. Game, yeah. game four. Incredible play. Just kind of dislike the person. I mean, I get that. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's somebody out in the world who has pissed me off lately. Yeah. You know? Quit being a chicken shit, vegan. Name a
1: name. Well, I haven't been out of the house much lately because you've been on the internet. There are plenty of people that piss you off on the internet.
3: Yeah, well, that's the point of the internet is to have people make you mad. Is it? What... <laughs> yeah, being mad online—that's a hobby for a lot of people. I it, mean, it, Buck, what... you basically made a career out of being. How mad do you online. feel about? How do you feel about Chris Martel? You like Martell? Like Martel? Martell is a goofball. You know, he's not I, someone that anyone could dislike, but he he's hard to di- like. Martell Martell also has some interesting takes on Twitter too. <laughs> Martell Martell is a is a wonderful human being. Yeah, you know, he has like eighteen children. You uh, know, he, he doesn't actually have eighteen children, but I think he has four kids. Still, yeah, he, that's basically like, eighteen. But he's like. 30 or 31 and you already got four kids. I'm almost 32. I don't have any kids. I mean, I affectionately called his I would always tell him I would always affectionately call his kids the petting zoo. Like he just he just keeps he just keeps accruing them. Um, but no, Martel is a you know, Martel's one of those people who and I say this, you know, as I said, I very much like Chris Martel. Yeah, like yeah. his Twitter personality and his real personality could not be more You know polarized like (laughs) like and that's what's always interesting it's always interesting when you meet people who you that you knew first on twitter and then you meet them in person and they're completely different people i mean it happens all the time Mm -hmm. like people build themselves a brand on twitter and then when you meet them in person they're they're shyer or they're
1: less in your (laughs) face you know are you pointing at yourself buck no, I think, I, I honestly, you know, maybe I'm self-involved that way, but I, I think I'm pretty, pretty much on point from yeah, the you, reality you, Yeah, I think.
3: You're, I think so. Yeah, I mean,
1: pretty, pretty close. the only
3: thing you're not doing is literally painting your fingernails. Like, that's the only thing you're not doing.
1: You don't know that. I had a pedicure scheduled today, but the, the winter weather uh, canceled it. So I yeah. tried to go get my, not maybe not, I don't put clear coat on them or nothing, but I like to get my nails buffed every once
3: in a while. Hey, time. that's fine. Do what you got to do. Okay, that was about that. I'm sorry for taking us down that rabbit hole.
1: No, it's just you know we've 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 now discerned through the course of this podcast who the soft media member in the press yeah. is. It's Adam Vigan. We had
0: we had to prove we weren't soft, and so we had we did we finally did that. I well, know
1: Vigan didn't do it; he wouldn't name a
3: name, so now he's soft. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst thing I've heard about myself, so I, I you know I I can live with it. See you, boys. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks.